shines for all to Good morning, Southview. How are we? All right. Glad to have you with us as everyone is making their way in. Welcome to you all. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview. It's so great to have you with us worshiping together. Uh, real quick, if you are a guest with us, uh, we would love to connect with you. Best, easiest way you can do that is to pull out your cell phone and simply text the word CONNECT to our number on the screen, 910-424-1298. Just sit, 
Uh, just text CONNECT. We'll send you a link, click on that, answer a couple of quick questions and send it back so we can know who you are, how we can minister to you in the best way possible. Uh, but for everyone here, we've got our big three announcements, all right? Three big things we want everyone to know about what's going on here at Southview. Number one is this, Vacation Bible School. We are very excited. We weren't able to do VBS last year because of COVID, so we're cranking it up this year. Uh, you'll see some things all around uh, campus here uh, advertising that. Directly after this service in the multimedia room, which is the room directly behind the sanctuary here, we're going to have a uh, volunteer meeting. If you have signed up to serve in BBS, or if you've not signed up but you'd like to serve, we're going to have a quick meeting after service here uh, in the multimedia room. Go sit in and be a part of that so you can find out a little bit more about serving at Vacation Bible School what that's going to look like, so that's directly after this service. Also, number two, men. Next Saturday, we are driving down to uh, Parker's Barbecue in Wilson uh, to just stuff ourselves full of as much food as possible. And we are very excited. So we, this was an idea that we had. Hey, let's just kind of grab some guys and go up and get some barbecue. We thought maybe we'll have a have a few guys. We can just grab a couple of cars and uh, carpool it up. And then the number grew a little bit. Like, oh, we need to rent a van. And the number grew a little bit more, so we had to rent two vans. And so now we're getting a bus. Uh, we got we got a lot of guys going. Um, but so we got about, so far we got around fifty guys who have said, "Yep, I'm going to be there. I'm coming." Uh, so if you're interested, we've still got space. You can sign up by texting BBQ to our number, 910-424-1298. Just text BBQ. Uh, that'll get you signed up. So again, we can kind of number-wise what we need to do, transportation to get us up there. We're just going to run up, uh, eat, come back. Uh, so um, sign up also. So we'll send you an email this week to remind you what time to be here. It's cash only. Got to bring cash, things like that. So sign up. So we'll send you a reminder email. So you can be uh, set and ready to go. But that's this Saturday. And then now this coming Sunday, April 25th, directly after the 11 o'clock service, we're going to have our church family meeting. We do about four of these a year. It's just a chance for us to talk about the great things that God's been doing and also set a little bit of a course of where we see God leading us in the next few months as a church. So this coming Sunday, sign up and be a part of that. You can text FAMILY. To 910-424-1298. Let us know how many in your group are coming so we can know how much food to prepare. It's a chance, again, just for you to hear the great things that God's doing and a little bit of what we have going forward. Come be a part of that. And if you're a guest with us, if you've been hanging out here for a little while, it's a great chance for you to come. You're invited as well just so you can hear what God's doing, where we believe the Lord is leading us. I think it'll be a wonderful opportunity for you as well. So sign up. Let us know you're coming so we can be set and ready for you next Sunday. And for any other announcements that we have, we encourage you to download our app. Uh, you can do that Google Play or iTunes, Southview Baptist Church app. You're going to get all the upcoming announcements. You're going to get sermon notes for the message today. You're going to get previous messages and worship services. You're going to be able to find a journey group. You're going to be able to give online there. You can give through the app, all of those things. Grab the app, download that, and you're going to need that uh, to stay connected with us as a church. Uh, but, but as we're here gathering together this morning, I want to read some scripture with, to you to set the stage for us in worship. Uh, so I want to read Psalm 40, verses 9 and 10. Listen, this is King David. Listen to the way David talks about going to church. So how, what is going to church like for you? All right, so you wake up in the morning. If you have kids, 
getting them together, like no, no one loses their mind except on Sunday morning. You finally get everybody together. You get in the car. Get in the car. We're worshiping Jesus. Get in the car. Right? You're getting here the best you can. Listen to how David described going to church. Psalm 40, verse 9. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have restrained my lips as you I have not restrained my lips as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. What David is saying is this. When I went to church, I went there so that I could tell everybody how good God is. God's been so good to me. God's deliverance of me has been so amazing. God's grace on my life has been so phenomenal. I couldn't wait to get to church and just tell everybody about it. And so in just a moment, we're going to ask you to stand and sing. And as you sing, what we're doing is this. We're not just mouthing words on a screen. We're not just singing along with a band. When we sing, we are proclaiming the goodness of God just like David did in Psalm 40. We are proclaiming the deliverance of God. We're proclaiming the glories of God. So as we stand and we sing here in just a moment, I want to encourage you, sing loud like you are telling everyone else in this room how good God is to you. How glorious and amazing and powerful He has been in your life. So Lord, I pray for us as we worship and sing, as we spend time in Your Word, as we respond, as we pray, all of these things. God, I ask that we would do this as people who are voicing how great and amazing and glorious you are. We would sing loud. We would be engaged because we believe that you are doing phenomenal things in your name for your glory. Empower us now as we worship you, Jesus, and lift our voices proclaiming your goodness to the great congregation. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Good morning, church. Stand and sing, and let's celebrate together. Who are we that you would be mindful of us? What do you see that's worth looking away? We are free. We are
Emmanuel, we've sing of his greatness. We see a victory through Christ. So I want to I want to speak directly to the man or the woman or the child here today who has never heard the saving grace of Christ. That he is able to save. He is able to heal. He is able to turn your heart from darkness to light. Because of Christ's work on the cross his perfect, sinless life that he lived, was crucified to, to pay for our sins, literally was dead and literally rose again. And so we celebrate and we hope and we wait. Scripture says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need in the mountains and the valleys and he leads and guides so my prayer for you today brother or sister is that you would hear the saints sing and the spirit would move and he would convict you not because of a man preaching or a song sung but because of the work of Christ coming alive in your life that you would see his holiness and his greatness and you would respond. So listen as we sing, as we celebrate these truths of our lives. And he is worthy to be praised for his glory. Ooh. He cares for you. Let's sing. The Lord is my shepherd. He 
that truth, church? Yes. You may be seated. Every Sunday morning, you hit snooze. Once, maybe twice. You blow dry, you button down, you buckle up. You squeeze into your Sunday best. You keep your hands and feet and neckties in the car at all times. You come early. You run late. You sing. You listen. You preach. You pray. And then you go. And wherever you are led to go, wherever you dream of going, we are there. We are the North American Mission Board. With tools, with training, with two different pathways, we connect you and your church to your next missional opportunity. When you want to welcome a refugee who's lonely, when you want to rescue a teenager who's trafficked, or feed a man who's hungry, when you want to care for a child who's neglected, or rebuild a home that's flooded, Send Relief gives you and your church real life opportunities to learn and do in places where churches are not, where the population is big but the gospel influence is small, where missionaries are called to start something from nothing. Send Network gives resources and training and support. And Send Network connects your church with church planners so that together you can change the world. There are thousands of them. Church planning missionaries. Send relief missionaries in big cities and small towns. Feeding and teaching and loving, planning 25 churches every single Sunday and baptizing thousands of new believers every single year. They give their lives and you give your treasure. You send these missionaries out into the world when you and your church sacrificially give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering and the cooperative program. And there are thousands more chaplains in foxholes and police cars and hospitals and workplaces. They all need you. And you need them. Because outside the four walls of your church, where they are, that's where you are at your best. Every believer really can one day live on mission. You and your church just need the very best tools to make it happen. That's why we exist. That's why we create resources like the Three Circles. Because whether it's an evangelism tool you download to your phone, or a compassion ministry our Send Relief experts help you launch, or a new church you help start through the Send Network, everything we do is centered on helping you and your church share the gospel. That's why we all do what we do every Sunday morning and every day after that. So as you pray, as you go, and as you discover what living on mission looks like in Norway, the North American Mission Board is here for you. So uh, throughout the month of April, 
we are focusing in on the what is what's called the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. That is an offering that goes to that organization, the North American Mission Board. Uh, that is our Southern Baptist arm that focuses on evangelism and church planting in North America, right? United States, Canada. Uh, so this is a chance for you to give in doing that. We are already uh, on pace to exceed our goal for this year. So praise the Lord for that. Thank you so much for your generosity. And I want to encourage you over today and next Sunday to be in prayer as to how you might be able to, to give in this. Uh, the point of today in our message, we'll jump in in just a moment, is ordinary people living extraordinary lives for the gospel of God. That God's glorified as gospel goes out, his mission is advanced. And this is a way for you to be a part of doing that. Uh, as you give, you are helping send missionaries, church planters, resources all over the country uh, to places that are in desperate, desperate need. Did you realize that there are, uh, in cities like Boston, Chicago, Seattle, and San Francisco, there, per capita, there are more Christians in communist China than in those countries? Uh, in the city of Seattle, they have more dogs than Christians. That's a true stat. That's actually true. Um, we need churches in these areas, and this offering helps in doing that. We're also, uh, if you've been with us the last week or so, we've talked a little bit about missionary, uh, uh, military community church planting. And, and this is also the organization that does that. As you give to this organization, you're helping the military community church planting as well. Starting churches, the goal is to start churches in every military installation in the world, but focusing first right here in the United States. And so... Every time you give, you give to that. So I encourage you to be prayerfully uh, asking the Lord what you can give. You can do that through the app, just designated as the uh, Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Or you can give in the buckets as you leave, whatever is best for you. And then just mark that offering, uh, Annie Armstrong, and we'll get it where it needs to go. All right. Having said that, let's jump into Acts chapter 6. All right. So as I told you a few moments ago, the point for today... is God using ordinary people in extraordinary ways to advance his kingdom, glorify his name, push forward the gospel. Uh, we're going to see today a man named Stephen. Uh, Stephen is an ordinary guy. He's not an apostle, he's not a pastor, he's not a missionary, he's not an evangelist, he's an ordinary guy. We saw him last week in Acts chapter 6 be one of the guys that was selected to help in serving the widow. So he's a, he loves Jesus, he's a servant, he just wants to help, but he's an ordinary guy. What we're going to see today is two things. Number one, we're going to see Stephen murdered. Uh, Stephen is the first Christian martyr. He's going to be the first man in the book of Acts to die for his faith, he will not be the last, but he is the first. Um, but bigger than that, what we're hoping to see today is, as we examine the life and death of Stephen, what we're wanting to see is, what is God saying to us about ordinary people like you and I, advancing the kingdom of God in extraordinary ways? Is that making sense? Um, how God moves forward in the book of Acts, how he moves forward throughout the world today, is by 
ordinary people like you and I taking the gospel to our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools, our friendship circles, going to those places with the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we can see him glorified in an amazing way. So we're going to dive in today to the life of a man named Stephen, all right? So Acts chapter 6, and we're going to ask ourselves again the question, how do ordinary people live extraordinary lives for the glory of God. How do we do that? Do you want that? Is that something that you desire? Do you desire to live an extraordinary, spirit-filled, spirit-empowered, God-glorifying life? A life that you look back on at the end and you are amazed about all the phenomenal things God was able to do through someone like you. If that's your desire, we're going to see that happening in Stephen. And by God's grace, we're going to see how that can happen with us. So let's do this first. Let's jump in the text and let's just first examine Stephen as a man. Let's let's look at his character, who he is, what fills him, what drives him, what motivates him, what makes him who he is. And then from that, start to kind of piece together what this might mean for us. So if you're in Acts chapter 6, just just, I'm going to pick out a couple of verses for you, okay? So first in verse 3, Acts 6 verse 3, they're bringing together these men again to serve in caring for these widows. And it says that all of these men, Stephen included, are to be full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. Then in verse 5, when it specifically talks about Stephen, it says that Stephen is a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And then in, ch- in chapter 6, verse 8, when he starts to get into the story for today, it's going to describe Stephen as a man full of grace and power. Look at the way Stephen is described here. Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Full of grace and power. That word full means exactly what you would think it means. Full, right? To the top. Lacking nothing. Complete and total. This is Stephen. Stephen is a man absolutely filled up to the brim. Spirit, wisdom, faith, grace, power. And the reason Stephen is filled up with those things is because ultimately Stephen is filled up with Jesus. And as he's filled up with Jesus, these things come flooding out of him. Right? I mean, just think about this. If you squeezed an orange, what would you expect to come out of that orange? I tell you every week, the questions just get harder from here, okay? As you squeeze an orange, what would you expect to come out of that orange? Oh, see, you're in, all right? See, by this time, 11 o'clock, you've had coffee, you've woken up. I expect a little more engagement, okay? You squeeze an apple, what would you expect to come out of that apple? Apple juice. You squeeze a Christian, what would you expect to come out of it? Jesus juice. The point is, as Christians, we are so filled up, just like Stephen, so filled up with Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what the circumstance and situation is. Stephen is in the midst right now of a horrific thing. We're going to see him get thrown into a kangaroo court. People are going to be lying about him, bringing up all kinds of false accusations about him. They're going to ultimately kill him. But it does not matter about the circumstances or the situations, or what he's a part of, 
No matter what is happening to Stephen, Stephen is so, we're seeing verse 15, he's so filled up with Jesus in the midst of being lied about, Stephen stands there shining like an angel. He's shining with the glory of Christ because he is so filled up with Christ, he can't help but have that come out of him as he gets squeezed. So the question, if we're going to be ordinary people living extraordinary lives for the glory of God, question number one we have to ask ourselves is this, what is filling our hearts? We must be honest. We must be honest about what has filled our hearts. Uh, the missionary to India, a lady by the name of Amy Carmichael, she served as a missionary to India for about 50 years. She said, a cup of sweet water cannot spill an ounce of bitter. What she means by that is, whatever's in the, the cup of your heart, that's what comes out. If sweet water is in there, no matter how hard life jostles you around, sweet water will come out. But if bitter water pours out of the cup in your heart, the truth is that's because bitter is what was in there. What comes out of you is directly linked to what was already in you. As you look at Stephen, he's facing these lies, he's facing certain death, but in the midst of all of that, he's shining like an angel. Why is that? It is because who has filled Stephen on the inside is greater than whatever is pushing in on him from the outside. Is that making sense? He is so filled up with Jesus. It doesn't matter what pushes in. They're just opportunities for him to ooze out more Jesus. What has filled your heart? 1 John 4, 4 says, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. What's in you? Think about a couple of real life situations and scenarios. Think about marriage. So we've all heard the stat that 50% of marriages end in divorce. That's not actually completely true. That stat is 50% of first marriages end in divorce. The truth is, 67% of second marriages end in divorce, and 74% of third marriages end in divorce. The more often you get divorced and get married, the more likely it is that you're going to, again, get divorced. Why is that? Because you can change your spouse, but when you step into the next relationship, you're still taking you with you. And what's in your heart, it doesn't matter that the circumstance is different, that the situation is different, that the spouse is different, they don't have any of the crazy things that the last spouse had. You still bring you with you. And what flows out of you is a direct result, not of your circumstance, but was already in your heart. Same thing with kids. I talk with parents all the time. Kids graduate, go to college, whatever, and parents sit down and go, I don't get it. My kid has lost their mind. What happened? We had them in a Christian school. We homeschooled them. We kept them away from the bad things. Why is this happening? Well, because 
the greatest need for your child is not to just be kept away from the bad things. The greatest need of your child is to actually have their heart changed by Jesus. And you can keep them locked away all you want, but eventually you can't lock them away from their own heart. And eventually you go away as the pressure pushing them down, and what's naturally in their heart is going to erupt out. Question is not about circumstance. Stephen shows that. Stephen is in the midst of a horrific situation, but he is oozing nothing but Jesus because he is completely and totally filled up with Jesus. The issue is what is on the inside. He is filled up. It's like those cheesy 80s horror movies, right? The babysitter's on the phone with the, with the operator. The operator says, the call's coming from inside the house. The killer's inside the house. Your real issue is inside your heart. Not your circumstance or situation. You're going to get another spouse. You're going to get another job. You're going to move to another city. You're going to go to a different church. And it's only a matter of time. The same stuff's going to come oozing out again. Because the heart has never been addressed. Stephen is an ordinary man living an extraordinary life, first and foremost, because he is filled up with Jesus. So everything that happens, every situation he's in, every circumstance that comes along, he is just, it's just an opportunity to, to pour that out. Again, I, we use the analogy of a sponge all the time here, right? You take a dry sponge, all the ringing in the world cannot, you cannot will an ounce of liquid to come out of a dry sponge. What must happen? The sponge must be submerged in water. All the pores of that sponge soak up that water, and now you have something to wring out. This is the truth. Whatever comes ringing out of your heart, whenever life takes your heart and does this, Whatever comes out is a direct result of what you've been soaking your heart in. So these, are, these circumstances, these situations are good opportunities to examine. Say, okay, what's there? I had to cut my grass yesterday because, you know, I have nothing but weeds, and so it grew really, really fast. And so uh, that's my day, all right? So, I, so my plan was I'm going to get up early, I'm going to cut the grass, going to be done, Finish. So, right, so you, 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 right, you go out, you get this thing, you're ready to roll, and you're. Great. So, what happened? We're just finally getting into spring, just finally getting into yard maintenance season. What do I need to do? I had to take some time, take that thing apart, clean out the old gas, clean out the carburetor, make sure all that stuff is now good. Replace the filter, it all got gunked up. Replace the plug, it all got gunked up. Put all that clean stuff in, put clean gas in, pull it, boom, we're rocking and rolling. The reason the lawnmower wouldn't run is because it was gunked up with junk. And the reason your Christian life struggles to run is because your heart's gunked up with junk. As life squeezes, what's in there comes Stephen was able to live an extraordinary life because he was filled up with Jesus. But second is this. In order to be an ordinary person living an extraordinary life, second, 
we must know that the world will hate us because it hates Jesus. The world will hate you, but because it hates Jesus. In order to be an ordinary Christian living an extraordinary life for the glory of God, you must be okay. You must be okay when this world attacks you. Because you know, that's just a part of the gig. Ultimately, they hate Jesus, not me. And in fact, you see that. It's interesting. If you look down at verse 11, chapter 6, verse 11. So Stephen is full of the spirit, wisdom, grace, power. As a result of that, he's doing all these signs and wonders. Great things are happening. He's ministering in the name of Jesus. Religious leaders don't like that. So here's what they do, verse 11. Then they, that's some of the guys, uh, they were part of these synagogues. You can read those in uh, chapter 6 there. Certain guys in the synagogue of the freedmen. These are former slaves who are now free. They start their own synagogue. Verse 11, they secretly instigated men who said... We have heard him, Stephen, speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. What you see happening here is really interesting. The accusations levied against Stephen are almost identical to the accusations that were levied against Jesus. Stephen is the one standing in front of these men, but really it's Jesus who's still on trial. These men hate Stephen and are bringing accusations against Stephen and are ultimately going to kill Stephen because they hate Jesus. It said Jesus is said he's going to destroy the temple. Jesus is destroying the prophets. Jesus is destroying our customs and traditions. And that's exactly what they're saying about Stephen. Uh, ultimately, they hate Stephen because Stephen spends so much time with Jesus and he's so filled up with Jesus that he looks, talks, acts, sounds a lot like Jesus. And since they hate Jesus, they now hate Stephen. And brothers and sisters, the same is going to be true of us. Just this week, I was helping a a family in our church kind of walk through a situation. There's someone in the family who is walking in sin. And uh, they're going to now uh, have a ceremony to celebrate that, that, that relationship that they're in. And so they're inviting everyone. And this family member who's a part of our church said, look, I... I love you. You know I love you. And you know that I will do anything. I would move heaven and earth for you. I love you. But I won't be at the ceremony. I can't. It's an offense to God. And if I come to this ceremony, I'm saying that I approve. I'm saying that God approves this. And as you can imagine, um, that went over like a proverbial lead balloon. Uh, Family splintered. People became very upset. Family members refused to talk to this person. And so a couple of the family came in and sat down with me and, and sort of like, you know, you know, this individual over on this side and this individual over on this side, and they're kind of asking me to, both are expecting me to kind of, you know, give them the deciding vote. 
So I just kind of listened for a little while, and they share, and here's what's going on, here's what's going on, here's, here's why I can't go, and here's why they should go, and I don't get this, and why is this, and you say that you're loving, but this doesn't feel loving, and so they, Pastor, what do you think? Great question. I said, well, I, I'm going to have to be honest with you. Um, if I was in this situation, I would probably do the exact same thing. I would say that I love you. I would say that I'm, I would do anything that I could possibly for you, but, but I can't do this. This person said, you just say that because y'all are afraid that you're going to show up to this thing, you're going to be in pictures, and your church friends are going to see you, and you're going to be embarrassed because you're going to get seen with this. And I said, no, no, no. It is not about a person seeing someone at this event. Whether no one sees you, God is going to see, and ultimately this is an offense against him. So we can't do it. To quote that great philosopher, theologian, Meatloaf. I will do anything for love. And as I sat and I took this, to talk with this individual, I said, listen, this family member of yours, tell me about your relationship with them. He says, great. So you know that they love you? Yes. You know that they support you? Yes. It says a person, absolutely. You know they would do anything they possibly could for you? Yes. We have a great relationship, except for this. If they just wouldn't do this, we're all going to be fine. Just quit doing this, and everything's great. And I immediately heard this go off in my mind. They like the person, except when that person starts making a hard stance for Jesus. Now, you're ticking everybody off. Because ultimately, the world hates you because it hates Christ. And the ordinary person who's going to be able to live an extraordinary life for the glory of God is a person who understands that and trusts the Lord with that. Okay, I'll take whatever that comes. I love you. And I don't want this to, to end our relationship, but I, I can't. I can't go contrary to Jesus. These times are going to come, and they're going to happen more and more and more frequently. How are we going to stand? Kind of how these people treated Stephen is pretty similar to how I think the world treats us. First, you can kind of go through the scriptures, chapter 6, verse 9. First, they debated with Stephen. Then chapter 6, verse 13, then they tried to discredit Stephen. And then chapter 7, verse 58, they ultimately just destroyed Stephen. They tried to debate with him. They tried to have argument with him. They tried to win the fight against him. But it said he had so much wisdom and spirit empowerment, they couldn't handle him. So then they tried to discredit him, lie about him, uh, 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 malign his character. And they'll do the same with you. right? If they can't defeat you in an argument on Twitter or Instagram, they'll just tell everybody that you're a hateful bigot. They'll just malign you. They'll just speak all kinds of horrible things about you. They'll say you said things that you didn't say or things you did say. They'll completely rip out of context and make them something that they're not. And when they can't defeat you in an argument and they can't shut you up by lying about you, they'll ultimately just try to destroy you. For Stephen, it was killing him. 
For us, it may not be that. For us, it may be deplatforming. For us, it may be people shutting down a relationship and acting as if we're dead. We have to understand that as we walk through this, we can do this in a spirit-empowered, grace-filled way because we understand ultimately they hate Jesus, not us, and I trust Jesus. And then you you get into chapter 7 and you see Stephen's response, and this is a really cool part. The next thing. If we're going to be ordinary people living extraordinary lives for the glory of God, we must know and live God's word. And that's exactly what Stephen did. In chapter 7, you see Stephen's response. And Stephen doesn't respond in defensiveness. He doesn't respond by accusing people. He doesn't respond by saying, you're a liar, and you're a crazy person, and you don't know what you're talking about. He doesn't do any of that. He responds in in Acts chapter 7 by preaching a sermon. And it's actually the longest recorded sermon in the book of Acts. And we're not going to go through all of chapter 7, but I encourage you to to read that this week. It's it's actually a phenomenal sermon. He goes through the entire Old Testament, kind of gives a a survey of the Old Testament. He starts out with Abraham, then he goes through Joseph and Moses and Joshua and David and Solomon. And what he's seeking to show them in this is God is at work in all of this. And there is someone here that is going contrary to God and his word and will. And it's not me, it's you. And God is seeking to do a powerful work in all who would repent and believe, if you will do that. But as we see Acts chapter 7, there are a couple, I think, interesting things that that are important for us that that do help us. So uh, I'm going to give you three quick things. All right, what does this mean for us? Uh, First is this. Um, we must saturate ourselves in God's word just like Stephen did. So in Acts chapter 2, it says that, that the followers of Jesus devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In other words, they gave themselves to reading the Bible, studying the Bible, memorizing the Bible, meditating on the Bible. And Stephen clearly was one that did that. He had the Bible so soaked up in him that when a situation came, Bible came flowing out of him. This is, a, again, a great little diagnostic test for us. As situations arise in your life, what comes flying out of your mouth, out of your heart again? Is it God's word? We want to be so saturated and soaked up with God's word that if a mosquito bites us, it flies away, quoting John 3, 16. All right? Studying your Bible is like studying for a test you're not sure when you're going to take. Stephen had no idea today was going to be the day he was going to have to stand and give an account. Stephen had no idea that today was the day Men were going to surround him and say, who are you to say these things? And he was going to have to be able to stand up and say, here's what God's word says. He had no idea today was going to be this day. But he had so soaked up God's word, he was ready to give a reason, a defense for the hope that was in him when the opportunity arose. Soak up God's word so that, again, that can what can come flying out of your heart. Second is this, we must share God's word and call people to follow him just like Stephen did. So Stephen had no problem sharing the scriptures, and then he had no problem looking at these guys and very honestly saying, here's what God's word says, and here's how you guys are missing it. In fact, look, if you have a Bible, we don't put it up on the screen, but if you have a Bible, look at chapter 7, verse 51. Here is Stephen's invitation, all right? He just got through preaching, just as I am, was playing in the background, Here is Stephen's invitation. 
chapter 7, verse 51. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Wow. He lays out the scriptures as to why this is happening, what is going on, what God is doing in the grand scheme of redemptive history. And then he says, and the reason you aren't believing this is not because I'm wrong, but because you are a wicked, hard-hearted man. You are constantly resisting what the Holy Spirit seeks to do. Stephen had no problem sharing God's word and very clearly and honestly saying, and here's what this means for you. Here's what this means for you. Now, again, we were to do that graciously and kindly. I don't recommend um, Acts 7.51 being your go-to verse, all right? All right, someone asks a Bible question. You're like, well, here's the problem. Stiff-necked, uncircumcised of ears and heart. They're like, I, what? Like, I don't even know what that means. You always resist the Holy Spirit just like your father does. You don't even know my dad. What are you talking about? The point is, though, Stephen had no problem very clearly standing on the scriptures and honestly proclaiming it. And then third is this. We must see the entire Bible points to Jesus just like Stephen did. Stephen starts his sermon with Abraham, goes through the Old Testament, and ends with Jesus. Because the point of the Bible is not just to be like this roadmap for your life. The point of the Bible is to be a neon sign pointing you to Jesus Christ. And so Stephen wasn't just laying out good principles these people needed to live by. He was seeking to point them to Jesus. Don't go to lost people and try to get them to obey the Bible. It doesn't work that way. Lost people can't obey the Bible. They must have their hearts changed, their heart of stone removed, their heart of flesh uh, alive by the Spirit of God placed in. Now they're empowered to believe and follow the Scriptures. What we want to do is point people to faith in Jesus and then teach them in how to walk in obedience to Christ in His Word. You can't just look at a lost person and say, believe the Bible, and it works. They need to be changed by Christ. So Stephen was ultimately looking to point them to Jesus so they can be made new in Him. And as his sermon finishes, we come to our last point. We must have confidence that God can use anything to advance his kingdom and bless his people. Look at how this ends as he finishes his sermon. Look what happens as you pick it up in chapter 7, verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, again, look at how he's described, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Which is an awesome thing because every time in the Scriptures after the ascension we see Jesus, he's sitting by the right hand of God. But now we see him standing as almost as the ultimate judge and witness over the life of Stephen applauding the work of his servant. Verse 57. When they cried out, but they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. 
Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. So just stopping just for a second. So they stoned him. And it, it'd be very easy for us in, in America 2021 to kind of just read that sentence and keep going. But this is, <clears throat> this is a very pregnant sentence. There's a lot going on here. They stoned Stephen, which is one of the most horrific forms of torturous death you can imagine. They grab Stephen, they drag him out of town, they surround him, and they start pelting him with rocks until he slowly dies. This is horrific. In fact, I was talking with one of our veterans, and uh, he was talking about stoning, and he said, um, you know, he's served in some pretty dark places around the world, and he said one of the places that they went into, uh, the village had just had a stoning the day before. And so he's learning firsthand about stoning. He said, you know what they would do? He said, if, if they had to stone a woman, they would bury her in the ground up to her shoulders and just have her head exposed out of concern that if they stoned her and she fell awkwardly, she may accidentally expose herself. And they would have someone examining the rocks used. They didn't want to use too big of rocks because then it ends too quickly. You don't want to use too small of rocks because then it lasts forever. So you had to have the right, the right kind of stones. And they would gather around Stephen. And they just began to throw rock after rock after rock as it pelted him and pelted him. And you can imagine how long this takes. And he's lying on the ground, surrounded by rocks, losing consciousness, gaining consciousness. Losing consciousness, gaining consciousness. Broken, bloodied. He's experiencing all of this. But as he's in the midst of this, you can just fathom what this must be like. Look at the way Stephen responds again to it. Verse 59. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Hmm. Can you imagine being beaten the way Stephen was? And the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, God forgive them. How can he do that? Because of what had filled his heart. It goes all the way back to this. Because his heart was so filled with Jesus, he had nothing else to come out of him except exactly what Jesus said to those who were crucifying him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Some of you, you're in this room and you have no idea how you're going to forgive. It will only happen when your heart is soaked up with Jesus Christ. You've got nothing to forgive on your own. He can't do it. So after he says this, he fell asleep, which is the New Testament way of saying he died. But what I want you to notice is what happened as a result. So pick it up in chapter 8, verse 1. Real quick, let's just see what's happening here. And Saul, we already saw earlier that this guy, Saul, we're introduced to, they laid their coats down at his feet. Saul approved of his execution. Who is Saul? Saul is a man that we're in the next chapter going to meet, and he's going to become the apostle Paul. 
He approved of this execution. In chapter uh, 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 6, verse um, 3, it's going to say that he was ravaging the church. In chapter 9, it's going to say that Saul continuously breathed out threats and murder against the church. Killing people, torturing people, imprisoning people, threatening people was such a part of Saul's life. It was just like breathing to him. He woke up in the morning and it's just what he did. They're experiencing, as we see here in verse 1, great persecution. So, verse 1 again. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So, here's what's happening. Backtrack just for a moment. Acts 1.8. Jesus is ascending up into heaven, and he gives them the marching orders. And he says... My spirit will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They have filled up Jerusalem with the teaching of Christ. Now, they need to be pushed out to Judea and Samaria, and God uses this great persecution to push them. God uses a horrific, horrible situation. Stephen's death and the mega persecution that comes as a result of it. To push forward the kingdom of God. God uses anything and everything. He is big enough for it all. As we sang earlier, he takes what the enemy meant for evil and he turns it to good. Verse 2. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul, again, was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Verse 4, look at this. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. It says in verse 1 that the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. So it was the ordinary men and women who went to Judea and Samaria. And verse 4 says they went preaching. When it was time to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, God didn't send the apostles yet. He sent the ordinary people. He sent us. This is amazing. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem, and God sent out the ordinary people and said, Take the message to Judea and Samaria and ultimately to the ends of the earth. God is seeking to use the ordinary people to proclaim the gospel. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And as they do, I want you to just kind of think about something for a moment. A lot of times we think, boy, we great if Jesus was physically with me right now. Right? That's what I need. You know, if Jesus was beside me, if Jesus was beside me, then everything would be fine. Right? If I'm at work and someone asks me a hard Bible question, I can turn to Jesus and like, Jesus, what do you think? And Jesus just answers it. Right? I'm walking around town, I have a headache. I say, Jesus, I got a headache. He's like, headache, be gone. I'm like, oh, it's gone. Right? If my dog dies, Jesus can bring it back to life again. If my cat dies, Jesus can help me bury it. <laughs> but as we think about the glory of what it would be like to have Jesus beside us, you know what Jesus actually says about that in John 16, verse 7? Jesus says, you know, if you really love me, and you really love what I'm doing, 
you really love this mission, then you're going to be glad that I'm going to the Father so that I can then send for you the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, this is an amazing thought. God is more glorified than a group of, by, by a group of ordinary people filled up and empowered with the life of Jesus and the spirit of Jesus and the power of Jesus and the love of Jesus and going out and proclaiming the gospel. He is more glorified by that happening than if Jesus just stayed on earth and did it himself. It's a good thing, Jesus says, that I'm going. Because now you're going to get the Spirit and you're going to be empowered to go now. God wants ordinary people living extraordinary lives for His glory. The only way that happens is if we are filled up with the life, power, love of Jesus, just like Stephen was. And if we're okay when the world comes against us because we understand they ultimately hate Jesus and not me. If we saturate, soak ourselves up in God's Word so that it fills us up and we're able to use it for God's glory. And if we understand, God is desiring to use people like me. People like me. In my neighborhood, at my school, where I work, God is wanting to use me in an extraordinary way. I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads just for a moment. We're going to sing a song called Come As You Are. And the idea behind the song is you come to Jesus exactly how you are and let him save you, redeem you, make you right, fill you up, empower you, and send you out. You may be sitting here and saying, you don't understand. I come from a really broken background. I, I, I don't think I can be that guy. Or I don't... I still kind of struggle with some things, or I don't think I know enough Bible, or I'm sure there's somebody more gifted than I am. I don't really. And what we want you to see today is God is glorified by using ordinary people in extraordinary ways. God's desire is for you to be filled, empowered, and used in an extraordinary way. Will you let him do that? Jesus, I ask that you continue to speak to your people. Holy Spirit, draw us to you. Allow us, Lord, today to just be encouraged. Believe by faith that you want to use people like us to do things for your amazing glory. Fill us with faith to believe for that. Empower us to be sent off to accomplish that. In your name, Jesus. Amen. This is a song of response. So my hope for us, church, is that we would sense what the Holy Spirit is telling each one of us to do. My hope is that this altar will be flooded with those who pray want to stand and sing, stand and sing. If you want to sit and reflect, if you want to go find your brother and sister and pray with him or her, now's the time. Today's the day. And if you need to respond to God's call on your life, I pray that you would be obedient.
that in all these things, as we sing, as we pray, that we would worship, the Spirit of God would have His way in our hearts and transform us for His glory today.
thank you that we can come exactly as we are. I thank you, Jesus, that we can. We can come to you, lay it all before you. You take the dirty things that are in our heart, the cup of our heart, and you pour that out and you fill it up with you. So I pray, Lord, that's exactly what we do. We're coming to you asking that you would fill us up and fill us up and fill us up. And then by your grace, let us be squeezed out for your glory. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We pray you'll take ordinary people like us and use us in extraordinary ways to glorify your name and further your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Have a wonderful week.